<laughs> oh dear. As, uh, as you know, I've already mentioned, I'll be talking about family today, and uh, the story I'm about to tell has little relevance to family in, in some ways, but the picture in my mind was about what it actually means to society, family, and uh, I used to have a job that was very labour intensive. It was an outside job, it was landscaping and tree lopping and all that sort of stuff. So if anyone knows Darwin, it's quite a hot place. And working outside is tough, right? And, you know, when you first start working, you, you get all the nice things ready to go. You, you go and get your work clothes, you know, and they're shiny and new and, you know, quite strong and you chuck them on and you're off, off you go to work and everything's great. But Darwin being Darwin, things just don't last. And this is how hot it is, you know. You know when... Um, well, we used to get paid in what they call checks, young people. Do you know what a check is? It's this bit of paper where someone writes on it, give this person this much money, and they sign it. You take it to the bank and they give you money. And I remember going into the bank one day, you know, and, and this is as my work clothes got a little bit older, and I'm standing in the bank in the line, I'm like, it sort of stinks in here. <laughs> And you sort of look around, mm -hmm. and then you realise it's you. <laughs> and you're standing in the line in the bank, because everyone's there, you know, cashing checks, putting money in, whatever, and you realise that you really smell. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever been in that position in Darwin, but it's something that happens, and, and what it is, is time has made your clothes stinky. Now, wives who have husbands who work outside will know this. You wash them in the washing machine, you get them out, and they just smell yucky still. I can see Nicole's nodding there, yep. Joe used to make the mistake sometimes of putting him in with the normal washing. <laughs> Don't do that. Anyway, it changed. So I was thinking about this pair of shorts that I had that, that I'd had for a while and uh, they started to get a bit thin. You know, they were like, you know, not as strong as they used to be. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but when you bend over, <laughs> there's this sort of rip sound. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't let one go. It was, there must be something else. <laughs> but your clothes sort of pull apart. Has anyone ever had that? Or is that just me? It's really embarrassing. Like, and when you're working outside, because this happened to me, I remember out working and, and my shorts ripped and they were really bad. And I was like, what do I do? I need some new shorts. But to go to the shop is actually quite embarrassing, right? Because you're going into there with, you know, this little flap going, and you're like, pull your shirt down really far, walk in. But I had to get some new shorts. And I was thinking about how... This is why it reminded me of family, all right? The fabric of society, right? What holds it together? There's something about family that is amazing, and uh, we just want to look through that over the... The next, I don't know, however, however long we can just play and have fun and talk about family and be challenged, hey? Um, but I was thinking about how it's so funny how those things that are good, like our nice new clothes, our good strong clothes, over time it wears out and it tears apart sometimes. And I was thinking about that in regard to family. What, what is it 
what does society look like? What is the way that God really wanted it to operate? You know, because, you know, we can get a lot of little definitions of family nowadays that um, they're just whatever you want it to be, you know what I mean? So, so I'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but the definition of family has changed quite a lot. What family is has changed quite a lot. But family is something that God put together. And that's the important thing. It's something that God actually planned. He didn't just think, you know, I'll just make humans and they can just do whatever they want. Within his thinking was this, that family is the way that I am going to, I guess, grow people. I'm going to strengthen people. I'm going to give them support. I'm going to give them relationship. I'm going to give them identity. I'm going to give them purpose. I'm going to show them how to live a godly life. And Proverbs chapter 8 talks about that in terms... It's actually talking about wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8. It's it's talking about wisdom being there and crying out on the street. But it's also saying that that wisdom was there at the beginning and it saw everything happen. And in Proverbs 8 verse 31, this is what wisdom said. How happy I was with the world he, God, created. How I rejoiced with the human family. It was a picture that wisdom said the human family is an amazing, amazing identity or entity, whatever it is, that God had created. And, and when wisdom looked at it, and when we, we actually look through Proverbs, we can really easily see that wisdom equals Jesus. There was this rejoicing with the human family. That didn't mean they rejoiced together. What it was was my heart was filled with joy and delight when I looked out and saw what the family was. There's something to be celebrated about what God had been done in creating the family. The family that, that, sh- that was almost like a mirror of the relationship that God the Father hoped to have with humanity and the way that it should have been and that we were united with Jesus Christ in this family. But it's a picture of who God is, what he wants, how he wants to build this world in family units. Now, we all know that things are going a little pear-shaped, right? Family is not what God intended it to be. It's different. Family is not pictured now, or the picture of family now that we get, as we think about our own families, it's like, I don't know about family. I moved to Darwin because they live in Tasmania. That's how much I love my family. <laughs> They're great, but I don't want to be with them. I like to see them every now and then, but, but that's because we don't know sometimes what God actually really wanted. And even worse than that, even worse than that is when we do know what God wants, we do the other anyway. I think about relationships all over, whether it's husband and wife, kids and mums and dads and, and whatever it might be. And, and, you know, I will say this to couples if they come and they're talking about getting married, what's the best advice I can give them? Do what the Bible says. Read it, find out what God says, do it. You will be guaranteed success. God talked to Joshua like that. If you meditate on my word day and night, you will have success. Everything's going to go well. And, and with our families, that's exactly the same. But the problem is that it doesn't go well because we're all so selfish. 
We all live to satisfy our own desires, what we think and what we know. And it's really hard when someone else does that because we can't control people. And so what we inevitably try to do is to control them. We walk out of God's way and walk into our way and the thing is that it just doesn't work. It's only God's way that works. And I will say to couples, you have 100% guaranteed success in your marriage if you read God's word and obey it. Why is that? Because God, God's word challenges our character and refines us to be more godly. So when I'm asked to forgive, I forgive. When I'm asked not to be bitter against my wife, I'm not bitter. When I'm asked to respect and honour my husband, I do that. When I'm asked to love my wife, I do that. When I'm a child and I'm asked to obey my parents, I obey my parents. When I'm a father and I'm asked not to to frustrate my child, I don't frustrate my child. There's these things in the Word of God that will challenge the way things are in the world, in other words, the real that we see. And if we ever wonder why God created marriage, children and family, let's look at Malachi 2 verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of the youth. Of your youth, sorry. The wife of your youth. So the family's created so that godliness could be passed on from generation to generation, that, that the next generation could see the goodness of God displayed by their parents and then they would begin to live it out. And we can look at it and think, well, you know, my family, I'm not married, I don't have kids, I don't this, whatever. And over the next few weeks, it might be very tempting that you tune right out. You're like, well, it <laughs> doesn't apply to me. I have to tell you this, family applies very much to every Christian for this reason. Each one of us has been adopted into the family of God. So when we look at it in a bigger picture sort of way of thinking, it's not just about the family unit, but now that we as brothers and sisters join together with Christ and also his brother and sister with the same Father God can live out good relationships with one another so why the glory of God can be displayed in the church. That people can see who God is, what he's like, how brothers and sisters are meant to get on. So Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Can you see that there there's this pleasure that God has in family and adopting people into his family to calling them his children? Because he knows that when we're living in proper family relationship that things will go well for us that we will understand who God is, that the, that the glory of God will be reflected in each member of that family and that's the ideal that we have. But as we talk over the next few weeks, there's going to be this tension that arises in our hearts. 
And this is the tension between the real and the ideal. What do I mean by that? When Jesus talks about relationships, when the apostles talk about relationships, when God's prophets talk about relationships in the Old Testament, there's a standard that's set. And we look at it and we're like, that's the ideal, this is the ideal, this is the ideal family, this is what God wants. But then we look at the world around us and even judge our own families and we go, that's the ideal, but this is the real. That is what it should be, but we all know that this is the reality. That that is out of reach, and in reality, this is what family looks like. It looks like there's quarrels, there's fighting, there's husbands and wives not getting along, there's children rebelling against their parents, not loving them. There's parents not loving their children. There's parents not investing in their kids. There's brothers and sisters that fight over the most stupid things that are ungodly. And so this is the tension that you will have to manage. Oh, that's the ideal. But this is the real. Where are you going to live? Because we could easily just throw away the ideal and say, well, that's impossible. Let's live where we are. This is what family is. You need to understand the way it is. And then in our hearts, sometimes we just accept it. This is the status quo. Nothing can change. But the whole point of Jesus Christ dying on the cross was so that we might be filled with the same spirit that he was filled with, that we were adopted into God's family, the relationship restored. And through that, we have a power residing in us so that we can actually break through what is the real and start to live the ideal as his power works through us and it doesn't have to be a long-term thing you know that God can change things in an instant and I've seen it time and time again when people that have had many years of problems and struggles when they actually say I submit to what God says, I submit to Jesus Christ, the change is really, really quick. We tend to think that it has to be this long process. They have to go through lots of things, they have to be counselled for 10 years and then things might change or they might not. But at least I'll accept where it's at. But I tell you the truth right now that I've seen time and time again when God has got hold of a situation where a person's so broken finally says, God help me. I'm going to seek you no matter what. That things change almost overnight. It doesn't have to be this long process. Now you cannot control another person. Absolutely, 100% you cannot. But you have to look at your own heart. Think of the things that we sort of accept today. I think about youth. You know, the, the term adolescent wasn't really introduced until the 19th century. Before that, it was you're a child or you're an adult. But somehow slid in, in between was this thing called adolescence where it's almost like we, we are now saying that with family, there's this period of time where we have to accept between the ages of 16 to... Now it seems to be stretched out to about 40. That, that people just don't grow up. And that's actually acceptable. But it's not. 
It's not acceptable that the moment that we say to a young person, you've turned 18, you're now an adult, go out, get drunk, act like an idiot, sleep around, do whatever you want, and that is a way you should be living because now you're an adult. Doesn't that just blow your mind when you think about it? But that comes into our thinking, doesn't it? You know, oh, they're just teenagers, they're this. And, and the heart of our teenagers is being turned away from the parents because the parents are not being given the honour that they deserve and respect as parents and children are taught, don't trust your parents. You need to talk to your counsellor. You need to talk to your youth worker. Your parents do not understand you. They cannot help you. But the very person that God gave that child to look after, nourish, care for, protect and give wisdom to is now expected to turn to another who doesn't know them, who hasn't lived life with them and gone through the journey with them. I'm not saying that it's all bad or all wrong, but what I'm saying is this, that the mindset has changed so much that we rip family apart even in those sorts of things. The very best person that you, teenager, can go to for understanding should be your parent. They're the person that you should open up to, that, that, that you should know that they love you. You see, a counsellor doesn't love you like a parent does. I know this for a fact. I remember once that um, <laughs> we were on a school camp and I was with Brianna. We are at the Blue Mountains. Excuse me, just a bit dry in the throat. And I received a phone call from her. She was off somewhere. Or, no, actually, I rang. I rang her to find out what are you doing, what are you up to. A bloke answers the phone. Hello. Oh, who's this? I tell you what, as a parent, I ran so fast down to where they were meant to be and I was ready to kill, excuse me, whoever it was, are you taking my baby? There's something that rises up in a parent that wants to protect their children against everything. They have a love that they are prepared to die for their children and I would have died for my kid. No doubt about it. I would die for my wife. Same sort of thing happened in Singapore. We were meant to meet somewhere. She wasn't there with another group of people. Where is she? Went down to the pool. She's not there. Went up again. Saw an open door. I was going to run through that place. I was going to get the security cameras. I was going to look for her. Has someone taken my wife? Little did I know she had gone down to the lobby. We'd missed her. She was hanging around the pool having fun. <laughs> But the point is, guys, that the greatest love that we seem to find on earth should be family, shouldn't it? It's husband, it's wife, it's kids. And yet somehow society tends to break it down. Hey, education, can you teach our kids about money? Hey, education, can you teach our kids about you know, coping with life. Education system, can you teach our kids about sex? Can you teach our kids about 
how the world evolved from nothing. Can you teach our kids that it doesn't matter about God? Can you teach them all these things? Can you, can you influence my children well beyond what I should be doing as a parent? I'm going to farm my kids out to you guys. And there they're told, don't trust your parents. You having trouble? Ring Lifeline, Kids Line, Helpline. Go and see the school counsellor, go and see the school chaplain. And I understand because of broken relationships, you need that stuff. But I'm talking about people who call Christ their saviour. I'm talking about people who have decided that the way they live is not good and there's a higher way that they need to teach to their children. The breakdown of family. And this is the tension that we live in, the ideal and the real. What did Jesus say? What's the truth? And I just want to point out one of those things because the point of it is this, that Jesus has given us grace so that we can move towards that ideal and take on the world around us. Matthew 19.3, I just want to read this to show you that tension. <coughs> uh, it's about some Pharisees coming and trapping Jesus, or trying to trap him, trapped him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Not really sure what the trap was here. <laughs> and trap someone with that. But back then, you've got to understand how easy it was. This is it for a man married to someone he didn't like, wanted a new wife. It was this, uh, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Done. No court, no maintenance, no splitting of assets, no anything. See you later. And the woman was not allowed to do the same thing. It was a man given that power. But what did Jesus say to that? Let's read on Matthew 19, verse 4 and 5. Haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus took them back to the beginning and said no one's got the right to separate who God had joined together. Their answer was, well, what about Moses' law? And Jesus was basically saying, even Moses doesn't have that right. And if you think about Jesus and, and the, the uh, in fact, he said you cannot be divorced unless there was adultery. But even further than that, if you'd listened to the Sermon on the Mount ever or you've read through it, you would think that Jesus is even harsher than that because he goes on to, to say in that, that, that sermon that he gave on the mountain that even if a man looks upon a woman with lust, then he's committed adultery. How many of you would feel judged by all of this right now, thinking, man, I am actually an adulterer in my heart? 
But Jesus came with these two things, truth and grace. He understood the ideal, which was God hates divorce. should never happen. But he did also understand the real. But he didn't want to leave people there. So let's go to John 8, verse 3 to 5. Again, the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus, trap him somehow. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? What do you think Jesus would say to that? Thinking about those other stories, he's saying, man, you shouldn't commit adultery. This is bad. And it is bad. Certainly not what God wants, but as that story unfolded, slowly all those that were accusing this woman left. That was Jesus' words. He who was without sin cast the first stone. They all walked away one by one. Jesus sat there writing in the dirt. Was he writing their sins? I don't know. Was he writing a scripture that condemned their heart? I don't know. But one by one they left. And Jesus asked the woman, he said, who's here left to condemn you? She said, no one. They've all gone. Did Jesus pick up a stone right there and then and said, well, I'm actually sinless. Sorry. No. Jesus walked in the love that could only come from God and he said, well, they're all gone. I'm not condemning you either. Go. Sin no more. And this is the beauty of Jesus. This is the beauty of God's plan of grace. That truth comes and it hits us really, really hard. Yet at the same time, there's this grace that comes from God that says, you need me. Take my help. Don't stay where you are, don't live where you are, but move out of that beyond what is real to the ideal, to what I have set before you. And the ideal was for marriage, when Jesus was talking about it, let's forget about the thousands and thousands of years that were in between God created the world and now. What was God's original plan for marriage? Let me take you back to the beginning. God presented Eve to Adam. The Bible says that they were married. And because of what had happened in the Garden of Eden, that is why a husband, a man, will leave his mother and father. He will be united to his wife and the two become one. They become one. That's God's plan. That's the ideal. That's the way it should be. But sin, in all its disgusting glory, has destroyed what God intended. And you are not living in the real now, but guess what? You can move towards it. With God's grace and God's help, you can move towards it. I just love it. There's a psalm that talks about it. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. 
And so as we go through this series, there'll, there'll be things that you might go, well, I don't want to bring my kids up that way. I don't want to love my wife that way. I don't want to treat my husband that way. I don't want to have that sort of relationship because the reality is this. There's a move against righteousness in this earth. And we are provided with so many models of what family is because we have to deal with what's with us now so we can say, yeah, but the family's not just a mum and dad and kids. And the reality is, I understand, a family can be a mum and kids. A family could be a dad and kids. And there's other definitions that are just bizarre. But what's God's ideal? How about we look at that? If it's not there, let's trust in God's grace to change it. Let's trust in God's grace to empower us towards what he wanted. Imagine a group of people united together in the family of God that creates such an amazing environment of family. Not just in their own families, but in the family together. What would that look like to the brokenness around us? What are you accepting of this morning? Are you ready to embrace the ideal that may not be reality or you're going to lose sight of that ideal and declare what is true to be as normal and accept it as my truth. And I just want to tell you right now that following Jesus is sometimes hard. Not because he's hard, but because it's different to what the world around will say is right. I just wanted to read you from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, to just remind us, guys, that we are not meant to live as earthly people. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. And it's interesting that that Shannon was talking about that this morning, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And there's a lot of enemies against family today. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering. <laughs> Congratulations, what a privilege. For him. We're in the struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, you know that I'm still in the midst of it. I just want to encourage us as a body of believers. We're in this together. You know, and the worst thing that you can do is pull the wool over your own eyes. And, and I, honestly, from experience, most people don't ask for help until it's too late. Seriously. You know, everything's wrong, my marriage is rubbish, 
We don't love each other, we fight all the time and this has happened. Fix it. <laughs> I don't fix nothing. All I can do is say, go to Jesus. I'll help you in that journey. But we're in this fight together. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't think that I haven't got it all together because I can tell you a thousand stories, not of what Jesus is like, but what I'm like. <laughs> as a parent, how I've missed it. As a husband, how I've fallen short. As a brother, I haven't been what I should be. As a son, I've failed. But the worst thing I can do is take that wool, pull it over my eyes and just say, everything's okay. I can just leave it the way it is. Of course we adapt, we change, we, we grow. And I'd have to say that now I'm a much better husband than I used to be. And I was awesome back then. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm all right. <laughs> but Joe's a better wife. We're better at how we relate with our kids than we used to be. Again, it wasn't bad, and everyone has a different experience. Some, it's absolutely shocking, and maybe relationships can't be restored. But what you build in the future is what counts. Don't be a fool and stick your head in the sand. If you're struggling in an area, admit it. Go to God. Ask for help. Ask for forgiveness where you've missed it. Because this is the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ that he came with, with truth and grace because he understood that we needed a saviour. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're not a Christian. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard this morning about the cross. The cross was a place where Jesus died God's sacrifice for sin, not animals that they used to do in the Old Testament, the bulls and goats, the blood, but the shedding of the son's blood. And it says that that was the sacrifice once for all time. We don't have to go back time and time again. What we need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. He took the punishment for us. He took the shame of our sin. He gave us beauty for ashes. We're all of joy for mourning. If that's you this morning, perhaps you've never received Jesus, can I just tell you right now that today is a day you could actually invite him into your life. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. There's not a shadow of doubt if in your heart it's like, I need you, Jesus. We're just going to pray together and I'm just going to ask you to invite Jesus into your life. Understand he died for your sin. He took your place. If you want that restoration with God this morning, all you have to do is ask. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for you. God raised him from the dead. And confess with your mouth that he is Lord that's you this morning let's just pray together you pray with me <laughs> then you chat with your friend you came with come up the front if you want if you haven't got a friend 
talk to your family member when you get home, whatever it might be, and just let them know that you've asked Jesus into your life this morning. Let's pray. If that's you, you pray with me. Father God, I'm so sorry that I've missed the mark, but I know that Jesus is truth and grace. The truth is I need you, and I thank you that your grace your loving kindness has given me a way back to you this morning. I just want you to come into my life. I believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose again so I can live. Forgive me, set me free. From this day on, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name.